it sounds honestly logical, like, of course, you would have a point of view as president. But I will tell you that I met other presidents, say, of other actuarial organizations, and they would tell me that, no, their job was not to have a point of view. Their job was to be a sort of a servant leader. So I'm uh, excited today to have Jessica Leong. She is the CEO of Octogram Analytics. Welcome, Jessica. Yeah, thank you, Joshua. Thank you for having me. Really excited about today. You know, you have kind of an interesting career path that led to where you are now. Uh, <laughs> maybe you could you could share a little bit of that background. Let me go chronologically backward. So I founded Octogram Analytics around a year ago now. So data and analytics consulting firm focused squarely on pricing for PNC insurance carriers. And before Octogram, yeah, it, it, it was a, it's been a really interesting entrepreneurial move. But before that, I was head of data and analytics at Zurich North America. Um, so had a far more traditional career for an actuary, but I was there for about eight years. And prior to that, I had other various sort of actuarial roles, um, both in the US and before that in London. Um, but originally from Australia. Uh, and so, yeah, just been watching my way around around the world. But interestingly, I've always actually, you know how most people fall into the insurance industry? I, I did an actuarial degree. So I decided when I was 16 that insurance was for me. Uh, and, and there it all began. I'm curious if you wouldn't mind in particular just talking about the Zurich experience because it seems like you kind of, you know, really got thrust into but pulled into or kind of ramped up quickly in this whole area and took on a lot of responsibility there. Yeah, happy to. Look, during the time I was at Zurich, it was a super interesting time because over the eight years, the space of InsurTech and, and data and analytics just exploded, right? Um, and you saw that too. So when I first joined Zurich, I joined the data and analytics team as an individual contributor. And you're right, by the time I left Zurich, I headed up that whole department. So the team I had there built all of Zurich's predictive models across pricing, claims, operational, around 60 people in the end. Yeah, so it was a super interesting journey. And I'll say what my focus was when I was at Zurich was really, and this has continues to be my focus, right, as, as head of um, Octogram, making sure that you're actually getting value out of data and analytics and AI, right? That was my primary focus. So often what happens um, when the rubber hits the road is that people people are really, really fascinated by the technology, right? Um, they love the new shiny new toys. Actually leveraging that and making that drive value for an organization, that that's probably the trickiest part. Interestingly enough, like building the models, even the AI models is not that tricky. You could learn it. It's just more math and more code actually getting people to change their behaviors, adopt new ways of working, actually driving value for the organization, that is much harder. Um, and we tried many different methods. You know, I've seen it sort of happen in house, right? Like when are we successful and helping a part of the organization grow successfully and when are we not? And how can we replicate all the successes that we've had, right? That was my, that was my focus. And that is actually, yeah, that Career-wise, it was it was a good focus because, <laughs> um, yeah, ultimately we were able to generate real real value, which was really rewarding. How did you manage to kind of go from an individual contributor in that group to running the team in a you know, relatively short period of time? Having a 
point of view helps a lot as a leader, right? And understand, well, I had a point of view on what I thought would make the team successful, right? If we could focus more on, we could focus basically solely on the business problem and measure ourselves on whether we had actually solved problems and help the business grow premium, reduce loss ratios, reduce expense ratios, right? Then that is what would actually drive a successful team versus I think what what we were doing in the past, which frankly, a lot of carriers do this, right? Which is build models, right? Our, our primary focus was building models. And that's what you will find in lots of carriers, analytics teams. Um, they're very, they're just, I mean, you can't blame them. They're all actuaries and data scientists. They just like building right. models. Um, having that different point of view helped a lot. And then it's up to the leadership to either, yeah, do they align with that? or not. And if they do, I think that is, yeah, that is helpful career-wise. Um, and then being able to deliver on that, right, consistently over eight years. Exactly how you, like, is there a formula for how to do that? No. <laughs> but certainly every, we would always be willing to try lots of new things and learn from both the successes and the failures in a fairly organic way, I would say. Did you have, like, was the culture of the organization such that that was valued, it was encouraged, uh, or did you have a particular, you know, mentor or, or, or a leader in the organization who you, you, you work with, who supported you in delivering that or? Yeah, that's a good question. I would say in all of my various career sort of points, right at, at Zurich before that, at Guy Carpenter, I've always had great bosses and they have aligned with my, with my point of view and encouraged that. So that's always been really, really valuable. I mean, obviously, your point of view has to, you can't just have any point of view, right? Resonate, make sense. Right. Telling <laughs> in some way, shape, or form. Um, but I think that's so important. And honestly, if I reflect back to, you know, I was president of the Casualty Actuarial Society, right? And that, I, I got the role because I had a point of view, I'll say that. So before I was president, give a, gave a lot of presentations about just poking holes at a lot of the common ways actuaries were doing things in reserving, in reserve risk, in capital modeling, as an example, right? And then while I was president, yeah, really working with the board to coalesce around a good strategic plan for the profession um, and pointing that in a very specific direction around, again, business, around business problem solving, right? We have to be the go-to people to, that solve the most important problems in insurance that can be solved with data and analytics. That is really what the profession should be looking should be looking to do. Having a strong point of view around that, I think is so important. And it, it sounds honestly logical, like of course you would have a point of view as president, but I will tell you that I met other past presidents, say, of other actuarial organizations, and they would tell me that, no, their job was not to have a point of view. Their job was to be a sort of a servant leader, and the people will tell you what you should do. And I was like, oh, okay. <laughs> There's no right or wrong answer, right? I guess we just have different opinions. And so if someone was coming up through the ranks of in organizations similar to the ones where you've worked, I mean, would you have any advice for them? And yeah, definitely. Um, lots of tips, I guess. One, yeah, one is that yeah, who your boss is is super important. So that one you should definitely, it's, it's something I definitely have focused on. I will say there are, so look, I had a big team. So just, you know, looking at all the dynamics and seeing who was successful. 
I would say if you want to get ahead, you identify a problem and you solve it and you be proactive. So yes or no, it might not be part of your job. It might not be something someone has explicitly asked you to do. That doesn't matter. If you want to be a, if you want to really excel, yeah. If someone had come to me when I had a big team and said, "Look, I've identified X," and and a few of them did, not very many, but a few of them did. Like I've identified X Y Z problem. You know, it's something that we've been working on for a while. But I think I could do. You know, blah blah blah, and really push forward on this. Can I? You know, will you let me do that? Right? Sure. Maybe I'll give them a you know a little bit of a pushback, ask a few questions here and there, and then yeah, go ahead. But it just shows so much initiative. And frankly, yeah, that's that's what I'm trying to do as well, right? Um, benefit the organization in some way, solve actual real business problems. Whatever helps your boss, whatever helps the organization, that's what you should always be looking out for. So what is the relationship between actuaries and data scientists? And you know, how do you find it to be most effective to get you know, you know, folks whose whose core training is in one or the other. Both now and at Zurich, I have teams of both actuaries and data scientists. And really, we just all the most effective way to get them to work together is to have them all in one and the same team. Doesn't happen very often at large carriers. I'll say that, particularly when you build pricing models. Um, Quite often when you're building pricing models at a large carrier, you'll have the actuaries build one component of the model and the data scientists build another component of the model. That has its pros and cons actually, but it's a, it's, that is actually a tricky question to navigate. I can kind of see it. I can kind of see it both ways, but in any event, the closer that they work together, the better off you'll be. And honestly, when I was president of the Casualty Actuarial Society, my push for the actuarial curriculum is to get much more data science into there so that you don't really have to choose between having an actuary and a data scientist. You'll just have an actuary who can do data science. Um, but honestly, there'll always, always be room for data scientists, right? Because we're never going to ask an actuary to do like, you know, build a generative AI model or a image recognition model or anything like that. So there'll always need to be that collaboration. Do, do you see the nature of the relationship changing with new technologies like you know generative AI, conversational AI, um, alternative data sets coming into play and other things like that. Do you sort of, you know, I don't want to say balance of power necessarily, but do you see sort of the way, you know, pricing and risk selection teams are built changing? Yes. I mean, the whole time I've been in this space, right? Like the last decade, I've seen it. Yeah, it's been evolving. Again, um, and at, when I was president, just pushing the the profession to evolve along with it, right? Um, but yes, I mean, over the last 10 years, I don't know, I'm sure someone should do the stats on how many data scientists um, PNC carriers have hired, but I'm sure you'll see it sort of go up like that, right, if you, if you plotted it. Um, yes, and I'm sure it will continue to continue to evolve. You know, we talked about data scientists and actuaries. What about sort of working with underwriters and underwriter buy-in and that third population in the mix? Yes. That, honestly, that is super important. And that was a huge part of my focus, especially working in-house at a company like Zurich, right? So 
Zurich and North America writes commercial lines, specialty lines, and on the commercial side, it's sort of large middle market upwards. So everything was judgment-based, right? It's not like you put the algorithm out on the internet and that's that's it. Um, so the only way, so people would ask, like, and yeah, people ask these questions all the time, right? Like, you want to up the ante and use lots of fancy algorithms and machine learning and blah, blah, blah to increase your predictive power. But honestly, like, none of it matters if the underwriter doesn't believe in it because they nice. have... You know, you're going to increase your predictiveness by like 5%, but the underwriter can charge, you know, within plus or minus 25% of this price, right? So the most important thing is that they actually think that it makes sense and is worthwhile. Well, Jessica Leong, CEO of Octogram Analytics, it's been a pleasure having you on. Great. Thanks for having me, Josh.